ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye yet not carnal? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe. The, by ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I'm going to read that verse one more time. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Verse 8 goes on to say, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every one, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. Please take your seats. Lord, we do give God thanks for again being here today. Um, I've been thinking about this scripture here for a while um, because I wanted to help ensure that we are prayed up and prepared and ready for what I think of as division. There has been this kind of spirit of division that has been frankly infecting every single part of our lives as American citizens and our lives as human people, wherever we are from. And this, this divisional spirit has been kind of rift, running rampant for months, weeks, years now. You see, there's so many different angles to this. I mean, at one state, it's kind of not really a big deal, but sometimes it can be really, really disturbing to see it. You see it in our politics. You see it in our news. You see it in our schools. You see it in our cities. You see it on the streets. You see it in our culture. One culture is set up to be in conflict with another culture and one set of people who love the 80s are against the 90s. You know, you see it in every single facet. You see it from one generation up against another generation. Generation X doesn't like Generation Z. You see it in, you know, the one set of people against another set of people. You see it based on geography. Like, unjokingly, I remember a few weeks ago, just this is purely jokingly, I was talking to Noah at the back there, and I think he, he loves Manchester United. I, I believe he's his football team, right? And I was kind of jokingly saying, man, Wolves is my joke. Wolves, the, the Wolverhampton Wanderers are my team. Like, and I don't want to hear it about another team, right? But, but at the same time, you know, in the 80s, I remember when I was growing up in England, we would see people violently opposed to anybody in the other shirt. Like if they were in another shirt that represented another team, that meant they, they were the enemy. Didn't matter that they were a regular person just like them. Didn't matter that they were going to work. Just didn't matter that they had kids and family and a mother and a father. It didn't seem to matter. As soon as they saw the color and the team, that engendered a kind of hatred. And I want us to be very, very careful 
about the spirit of division that is rife everywhere that we don't bring it in here. Now, again, I, I just, it's not like I've seen anything or I've witnessed anything. I just want us to be careful. Part of my job as a teacher and a preacher is to be a watcher and to watch and to make sure we, we see what things are coming. Not what things are here, that's too late. Like a watchman who tells you uh, they're at the door, you've lost, you, you've kind of failed your job. A watchman is supposed to tell you they're coming and they'll be here in five minutes. Get ready, right? So my job today is to kind of tell you about how you need to watch and to, be, and to pray, as the minister was saying earlier. So, so Paul starts this particular scripture and he says to this church at Corinth, He's kind of taken the first two chapters of the book of Corinthians and he used that essentially as a greeting. The first chapter is uh, basically greeting them in the name of the Lord Jesus. The second chapter is basically reminding them of who he was and that he preached to them and he taught to them. And then the third chapter, almost after, immediately after the greeting, he's talking to them in chapter 3 about this idea about division. Let's read over that again just to kind of reinforce this. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. The word carnal isn't something we use these days much, but it basically means fleshly. Like, I am talking to you, I would love to talk to you spiritually, but I have to talk to you like you're, you're essentially like you're, you're really just a child, essentially is what he's saying here. Your carnal mind means I'm speaking to your fleshly desires because you're not spiritual enough yet. So one of the things immediately he's speaking to here is that we need to be more spiritual in how we approach when we've got divisions that we see around us. We shouldn't look at it just on the surface Oh, you're, you're wearing red and I'm wearing blue. We have to be against each other. That's the fleshly side of it. That's the carnal side of it. What is underneath that is he's asking us to, to really look at. So he says, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, fleshly, even as unto babes. Then he starts to describe us like children. <laughs> and I remember when I was young, um, and mom used to, I don't know if the, your, every mother does this, so please excuse me if I'm telling you something that's just for us. But when, when mom used to want to give us a sweet, she never used to give us the whole thing, especially when we were young. Like she would break it up and give us a, I don't know if you all did that or if your parents did that, but mine did. And make sure it was small enough for you to digest because she knew you as a child, you'd probably just swallow the whole thing and then she'd be dealing with an emergency situation for you. So you, she used to break it in just the right amount that you could, you, you used to have this too. She used to break it in just the right amounts that you could handle, right? Because ultimately she knew you weren't mature enough to eat the whole thing by yourself. And it would also give her the opportunity to share it among like one piece of candy among five kids, right? That would be a chance to do that, right? So here we have Paul speaking to the Corinthian church just like this. You are basically babies. And I can barely say anything to you spiritually because you're so carnally minded. Because you have this mind where you're thinking about your flesh. Now somebody who's thinking in the flesh is generally just relying on feelings. The young people that they say, in your feelings, right? They have this saying that's in your feelings. Are you in your feelings? Which meaning you are simply responding to how you feel right now. My wife, um, bless her heart, um, she helps me with this. When I am hungry, I am an awful person to be around. I am really not a good person to be around. And I don't realize it because I'm get, hunger seems to 
seems to catch up with me when I least expect it. And, and, then, and then when it's caught up with me, I'm not in a good mood. That Snickers commercial is me, basically. Right, that says, uh, are you hungry or are you basically, you're hungry and angry at the same time. And it catches up with me all the time. And the first question she still asks me is, did you have something to eat? So, uh, no, no. Okay, all right, I see why you're acting this way now. <laughs> right, the last half an hour is fully explained because you haven't eaten in three hours. She then gives me a piece of candy, thankfully not like my mum, and everything is just fine, right? Just that piece of candy, and I'm, oh gosh, I was in a bad mood, I wasn't doing, and Paul is saying to, your, to the people of God, you have to be really careful about just living on feelings. Like living in feelings is really, really difficult, and it's difficult for people around you if you're just sitting in feelings all day. And Paul is saying to them, you have to go deeper than just the feelings. Like your feelings will betray you, your flesh will betray you, you'll be in a great human being right after you've eaten, and two hours later because you can't, you haven't figured out you're hungry, you'll be the worst person to be around. You have to get above flesh, above carnality, in order to be the person God has called you to be. It's a weakness of the flesh. It's the nature of it. We can't get past it or around it. But Paul is inviting the church to do better than they were doing. Let's keep reading and we'll see how Paul breaks this down. He said, I have fed you, in verse 2, with milk and not with meat. For hereto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? He's here telling them, I fed you with milk because frankly you weren't ready for meat. Like you were like a babe now, he's kind of breaking it down, you're not just a child now, you're essentially a baby. And I would have loved to give you deeper things, I would have loved to have given you more solid things, but you can't basically bear it. So I have to tailor my message to you to ensure that you understand what is being said. When we're talking to each other, we have to be very careful about who's receiving the message and how they are receiving it. Like if you're in a great mood, you can receive bad, bad news and deal with it correctly. If you're in a terrible mood, sometimes that's difficult to process. Same person, different feelings. Flesh kind of just takes over. Same person, but just a slightly different scenario and they're not receiving it. Sometimes we have to talk to each other knowing that sometimes we're actually in our feelings and our flesh a whole bunch and change the message a little bit. Let's keep reading. Are ye yet carnal? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye yet carnal? This is the part I was talking about earlier. We have this kind of setup right now where folks are setting up fights that don't necessarily need to be fights. Like, why are you all fighting about that thing? Like, do, part of me is like, do you, just let me do me, you do you. Why are we fighting? Why are we setting this up for a fight? But I'm realizing there's people making money on us fighting. 
Like they are setting us up and saying, you know, if we get these two people to fight, we can watch them and then write about it and make money about it. Like that seems to be the whole point. And I'm asking and inviting the church to kind of take a step back and look at what they're doing from a spiritual angle rather than a fleshly angle. Because if we do it from our flesh, we'll take our feelings and our concerns and our issues, but we won't think about it from the standpoint of what the Lord is asking. I remember it was in, um, I think the scripture was in Romans chapter 3, where Paul is speaking to them and he's speaking to the people of God and he says, let God be true and every man a lie. Like, I don't care what your politics are. I'm not caring. I, I don't care what, how much money you make a month. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care what clothes you wear. I don't want part of the city you come from. I want God to be true for us first and primarily. Thank you, Lord. Verse 3. Verse 4, excuse me. For while one saith, and this is what Paul was dealing with in his time. He says, for one while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Here Paul was kind of telling them, look, one of you all is, is saying, you're for me. <laughs> another one is saying, you're for this guy over here. <laughs> and if that's your position on, on how you want to work in the church, isn't that just a little bit fleshly? Like, isn't that the definition of fleshly? Aren't you missing the entire point if you're picking sides about who is going to be better and who's going to be worse, or who's going to be the one I'm going to be inspired by and who's not going to be the one I'm going to be inspired by? Paul's kind of trying to make sure that they, they completely avoid this trap, and it is a trap. It's one built in strife, and one built in envy. The definition of the word envy, which is what Paul starts by saying, he says, a feeling of discontented and resentfulness that is aroused by someone else's possessions. He's saying this envy that he's speaking of and warning against is I'm looking at Minister Flagg and saying, huh, I like those shoes and I'd prefer them for me. Like the fact that he has them isn't just a problem, but I'm, I am now not happy with anything I have because those are the ones that I have. That's the idea of envy. Like my shoes were fine until I saw his. Like you were absolutely doing great until you saw somebody else's. This causes an imbalance of desire based in flesh. It's not deep. It's not something about him that I want. It's not like he's this happy move. I want the things he wants, and my flesh is focused on a very shallow idea of what it is to have them. And then in addition to envying, we have this idea of strife, which is an anger and a bitterness. This anger and bitterness is over fundamental issues, and it causes conflict. And bitterness and conflict leads to the third one, which was division. So you have envy, you have strife, and you have division. And these are all born out of the same set of feelings of being too much in our flesh. And I'm wondering if we, the people of God, can completely avoid this trap by putting one thing first and one thing only, that at the center of this church will be Christ. Like, I'm going to make that above anything else I believe. 
like any other book I read or any other news I consume, I don't care at the end of the day. I'm going to push that away and put Christ at the center of this church. <laughs> Verse 4, for while one saith I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Are you not in your flesh? Are you not in your feelings? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. He's trying to break it down here and saying, there's nothing special about Paul, who is, who is the writer of this letter. There's nothing special about Apollos, who, who was with Paul while he was developing the church. You, can, you read about Apollos in Acts chapter 19 and in the end of the book of Titus. Apollos was right with Paul when he was in the coast of Ephesus, preaching to the disciples and telling them about this man Jesus and that there is just one baptism you're supposed to be baptized into. Apollos was the one there. And he's saying, yeah, Apollos was preaching to you powerfully. I was preaching to you powerfully. But if you think this is about us, you've missed the whole point. Like, I know we were the ones who gave you the gospel, but if you think this is about us, you've missed the entire point. Which is why I'm trying to tell you, don't worry about the divisions that people are sowing into our communities. I'm asking you to reject them and to center Christ. I'm not saying there are no concerns you don't have. You should pursue those concerns as best you can. If you have a grievance with the government, this government gives you the ability to petition said government yes, yes. to ensure that you have your, your, your particular grievance heard. Yes. You should take advantage of that. I'm simply telling you that when it comes to the church, let's make God be God. Let's let God be God. Vote for whoever you feel for. I'm not telling you to vote a particular way. I'm telling you to let God be God. Let him be the center of our lives. Let me keep going here. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Verse, um, verse 6 says, I have planted. Verse 6 says, I have planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Read verse 6 again. I have planted. Paul is saying, I have planted. Apollos way of watered, but God gave the increase. There must have been a real big problem because he's brought up Apollos multiple times. In fact, he brings up Apollos three times in this chapter alone where he's saying that there is some kind of division happening in the church. This isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't something in politics and media and social media invented. This divisional idea has been around for hundreds and thousands of years. And we've got to recognize the same thing that was impacting the church is impacting society today. And we have the opportunity to do better than what they were doing. Because we can recognize it. Look at what he says in verse 6. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So both of these are kind of a description, a, a kind of description of a planting and watering and reaping process where Paul is described as the planter, Apollos is described as the waterer, but the one who actually causes growth to occur is only God. Like, you've done some unit of work to help the process, but without the one who creates growth, what you've done is kind of a waste of time. Like, I could plant, I could water dirt all day long and nothing will come forward. It requires something in it. 
And then on top of that, it needs the germination process to occur for the plant to come forward. Here he's trying to say, you're centering on the wrong thing if you're centering on the planter. <laughs> if your issue is that important to you that you're willing to, to disregard our, our brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ, I'm suggesting to you that you're focused on the wrong thing. We need to focus on the thing that makes us common, which is Christ Jesus. We need to focus on the thing that makes us together, which is the Lord himself. The scripture says we are his workmanship, meaning that he is working on me in the same way he's working on you. <laughs> right? Let me read that again. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Note that both of these actions are actions done into darkness by faith. When you plant a seed, what you actually do is plant an idea that you hope will come forward later. It's not a plant when you put it in. It's nothing, nothing resembling a plant when you put it in. It's planted into darkness. And then also when you water, you water into dirt. You don't water on the plant. There is darkness for both of those poles. None, none of you know whether you're the planter or the waterer, what's going on underneath the dirt. The only one who knows is the Lord. So why then are you focused on the ones who don't know when the one who does know is the one doing the increase? We need to focus our attention on that thing which binds us. It is the blood of Jesus that has made us one people. I happily refer to everybody who comes into this place as brother and as sister. And I do it for the same reason I am I'm speaking about this topic today. Because I want us to understand that we are family through Christ Jesus. Through the shed blood of Christ, through the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus, through his Holy Spirit making us one, we are one body. I, I am obligated to, to treat my blood and, and bones the same way, the best way I can. And when you come into this body of Christ, I am obligated by the same system to do the same thing for you, to treat you well. So Paul goes on and says, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that gaveth the increase. I don't care what your issue is, I don't care what your, your, your special activity is, it's God that is at the center of our lives. Verse, let, let me switch real quickly because I want to show, show how this was kind of um, acting out in the disciples. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 verses 24 through 27. Thank you Lord Jesus. Luke 22 verses 24 through 27. And we see the same word, strife, come up again. Again, this anger, this bitterness, this disagreement over fundamental issues. Strife, this word strife comes up in the scripture again. In Luke 20, 22, verses 24. And there was also a strife among them, the disciples. This is during the Last Supper. This is just, just after the Last Supper. So this is the last moment before Jesus is going to go to the cross for his people. And he says during this last moment, and there was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? There's a strife again. This is this born in envy. What do you have that I don't have? What is it that you can do that I can't do? What capabilities do you have that I want for myself? 
I was perfectly content until I saw what you had. Now I'm not content. That's what strife is. Let's keep going into this. Verse 25, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. So he basically is describing a kingdom. At the top of a kingdom, you have a king, and everybody underneath that is essentially a vassal to the king. He has to do what the king says. Verse 26, but ye shall not be so. That's not the way it's gonna work with you guys. He says, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. I was thinking about this as a kind of a pyramid. Like, <laughs> the way that the world does it is you have lots and lots of people at the bottom, and the pyramid goes all the way to the top, and somebody's in charge right at the top, taking advantage of everybody who's below him, right? Jesus wanted to flip the whole pyramid upside down, right? If you want to be the king, you have to go to the bottom and serve everybody upwards, right? You, he, he was telling the disciples, you all are quarreling about trying to be the chief, and being the chief means you're going to be the best servant to your brothers and sisters. Like, you're quarreling about who's going to be in charge, and Jesus is saying, I don't want you to do it just like the world. I don't want you to be carnal. I don't want you to be fleshly. I want you to be spiritual. I want you to come out of the world and do this slightly differently. Let's go on and we'll see what he says. Verse 26, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief, as he that does serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Jesus is basically saying, I've, I've come to you uh, from eternity, king of glory, and I've come and sat before you, and I didn't sit at you as a king, but I sat at you as a servant. I sat with you not to tell you how you can come and go for me and how you can serve me, but I concerned myself with how I could serve you. There is a fleshly mindset that the world has adopted, this kind of antagonistic, argumentative, like constantly looking for things to argue over. And I'm here to suggest to you we can't bring that in here. <laughs> we have decided that there is only one person we are serving and that is exclusively the Christ. I'm not suggesting you can't be passionate about things. I still, intend to, I still intend to support Wolverhampton Wanderers and Pittsburgh Steelers, and my brother over here is gonna be a Green Bay Packer fan all day. But I totally, when it comes to this, I'll throw that away in a heartbeat. I'll become a Packer fan if it means that he's gonna love me and I'm gonna love him. Nothing else becomes more important. Nothing else will take its place. Christ becomes first. Let everything else be a lie, but let God be true. I'm gonna say it again, let everything else be a lie, but let God be true. I hope this word has meant something to you. I hope it's been helpful. In the name of the Lord Jesus, bless you.